Okay, well, the title of the lesson is, I want to challenge your view of Jesus. I want to challenge your view of Jesus. Do you really have the right perspective of the real Jesus? And what I mean by that is what we can ascertain from the scriptures is really all we can use to put together of who Jesus is, the way he lived, and what he wants, and what he came down to do, and what he came down after what he did for us, came down to, to call us to follow him. And the New Testament, in many ways, refers to it as this way of life. Once you become a true baptized disciple in, in Christ, you're a new creation, and now you're in this new way of life. And in many ways, it's like you're tubing down the river. In Arizona, we used to uh, go tubing. And what that was called, it'd be 120 degrees out. And you'd drive outside the city in just scaldering, smoldering heat. You could see the heat coming from the, 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 the asphalt. It was so hot. And you'd, people would go, where are we going? And out in the middle of nowhere, we'd find a river, and it was called the Salt River. It had no salt in it, but I don't know why they called it Salt River. But it was coming down from the northern Arizona mountains, and it was cold, but it was so refreshing when it's 100-plus degrees out. And we'd bring inner tubes, you know, in a car, the big, huge inner tubes. Then you'd blow them up, and you'd lay in between them, and you'd have to put a towel on it because the inner tubes were black, and the sun would be beating on it so much it was that hot, you'd burn yourself but we'd just float down the river, and there'd be nice, beautiful, gentle rapids. And sometimes you'd get in a little bit faster, but overall, the current would continue to take you down. You'd have an ice chest with snacks and beverages, and everybody's going to be chilling, looking at these huge mountains on each side in the middle of the desert, tubing down the river. No effort, just chilling. You'd park a car five miles down, and then you'd drive everybody up to the top of it. So, so you'd, have a, a, you know, you'd have a car on each side, so when you came to the end, the guy would drive all the way back up everybody to their cars. But if you got off that inner tube, you still would be going down with the current unless you tried to swim upstream. And if you tried to swim upstream when everybody's floating by you, and I'm talking hundreds, thousands of people do this in Arizona in the summer, uh, it would be so hard, number one, because you're going against the current, so you're putting all this effort. And it it's really takes effort and, and a desire and a determination to try to swim upstream. And everybody else is looking at you like they're just floating down going, what are you doing, dude? But really, spiritually speaking, Jesus' way of life, and when he calls you to be a disciple and follow Jesus, you really are getting off your inner tube of life, and now when you follow Jesus, you're learning to deny yourself, go against your sinful nature, and what it would really look like is swimming upstream when the majority of the people are just passing you going the way that is naturally taking no effort. So the way of Jesus' life calls us to a challenging walk with God because it challenges our sinful nature. It challenges us to overcome Sin, which can feel so comfortable at the time, but it's such a trap. It's a time bomb ticking that in time will blow up and destroy your whole life. So let's look at the view of what Jesus' life 
looks like, and then let's let that challenge us in a good way. So turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. And in Matthew 28, 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here we see Jesus, after he has died and then resurrected from the dead, he walked the earth for 40 days, according to Acts chapter 1, before he finally ascended into heaven. But he calls and tells the 11 disciples, who were the apostles later on, and minus one, there was 12, but Judas killed himself, hung himself, because he did not want the way of life that Jesus called him to live. So as he was following him, he realized this isn't really what I want. I want it my way, and he killed himself. But he meets these 11 who followed him for three years, and they meet him on the mountain, and they see him, and they worshiped him. Now imagine how exciting that would be to see uh, Jesus and, 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 and having that faith and believing in what he said and doing the miracles and telling him that he's going to die, and he's going to raise from the dead, and he's going to teach you the beginning of this way of life, and you're the first 11 guys that are going to go, you're going to do this. You're going to change the world. You're going to evangelize the world. 11 guys. And as they were worshiping him, in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. I mean, they were in awe. But look what it says, the last three words of that verse. But some doubted. See, doubt can always be there. Doubt is not necessarily a bad or wrong thing. Doubt is, are you going to wrestle and persevere through it, or are you going to let it paralyze you? Doubt stops to make you think, why am I doing this? What is happening? Doubt should push you forward and overcome it to answer your own questions. So the ones that doubted, look what Jesus says to him in verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and let's crank the world. Let's make disciples of all nations, and I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. He doesn't sit there and go, oh, you're doubting? We were to stop, and let's take some more time to talk through it. He says, no, we've already talked about this. Rebuke those doubts. You already got it. You know it. You believe it. Overcome it. Go. See, obedience and really fighting and taking captive the thoughts in your mind when you doubt and going to God's Word and remembering what Jesus says and what God's Word says can override your doubts. Because Jesus even reminds them in verse uh, 18, when they're doubting, he says, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Immediately, he just re-stamps God Almighty, the, our Father in heaven, is overseeing this whole mission. And I've got the authority, and I'm giving it to you. Go. 
and we're going to baptize and make disciples of all nations. We're going to go and teach the world who God the Father is and why I died and let them understand the terrorist trap of sin they've all been in for so long. And we're going to teach each other to obey everything continuously the rest of our life. And he says, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. See, God trumps doubt with commands. God trumps doubt with his word of God saying, don't sit there and stagnate in your momentary feelings of unbelief and fear. Obey, obey. And when you obey, you're reminded as you're obeying, what does God say? And what did God say before that? Let's look at the view of Jesus. Let's let Jesus' real life on earth challenge our view of who he really is and maybe reignite a fire in us that we may have allowed to go down. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. And it says in verse 10, And bringing many sons and daughters to glory... It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are from the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I declare... I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Now, look at this, guys. It's incredible because it says here, he's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. You know, the people that have become disciples and died faithful, they've gone on to glory. There's a saying you don't die. You go on to glory as a disciple of Christ. This, you go on to the next life, which is truly life. Paul says, I would rather die and go and be with you. It's far better. But if, it, if you want me to stay and win more souls, I will do that. But to die in Christ is gain. And he says here, remind us again, a powerful truth. I'm bringing many sons and daughters to glory. And because of that, it's because through whom everything exists, you, God, created everything. You're still in control of everything. And I'm the pioneer. I'm the one that, had to, that died willingly for the joy set before me. I endured the cross because I allows, allows many people to be saved and made holy. They are set apart by their distinct change of life. Their distinct, true biblical faith and understanding what Jesus did for them changes their life as though they get off an inner tube floating down a river with all of the world's people floating the same way with no effort. They get off and start swimming upstream because Jesus calls us to live an awesome life, not necessarily a comfortable life. Because comfort can kill you. And then we go on to read here in verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and, the, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. 
For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, human, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, Jesus was made the perfect leader, or as the Bible says, pioneer of our salvation through his suffering as the complete sacrifice for us. Jesus did not need to suffer for his own salvation because he was God in the human form. He perfectly obeyed God through his own painful crucifixion to finalize our salvation. That's incredible. When we suffer, we carry on Jesus' work. Our suffering can make us, as servants of God, more sensitive to the needs of others. People who have dealt with pain are able to reach out with compassion to others who hurt. But if you don't deal with pain, you don't know what it means to make it through it and understand what someone else is going on. You just stay in your pain, so it's poor me, poor me, I need help. You can't get to the next level that God wants you to. If you have suffered, ask God to use your experience to help others, not just get bitter and resentful. Then he says here that children... Since the children, us human beings, we have flesh and blood. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Even though once we're saved, we're still walking around in this body that's deteriorating and getting older. We are walking in step with the spirit and our soul and the essence of our spirit is saved. And our mindset and our view of Jesus is completely different. We now have the mind of Christ and we're learning how to walk with him. And that is, in many ways, a narrow road, as Jesus says, compared to the wide road that humanity still walks on until they understand the true view of Jesus Christ from the Bible. So Jesus defeated death, so all who dread death can find the hope that God sending Christ gives through victory. How can you share this, this certainty with those close to you? Well, are you afraid of death? And I'm not saying this like, you know, as human beings, but you got to think like Christ now, if you're, if you're a disciple. If you're not, then you're over paranoid about everything. Because if you use your brain and common sense and follow the laws of the land, the Bible says, obey the laws of the land. That means don't do crazy things. Don't break the law. Don't try to do sinful things. Then as you trust God and obey God with your life, you don't fear death because you're not even, you have no control of it. And you really understand that. So you live life to the full with no fear of death. You're free. Point number one, Jesus was cool. Jesus was cool. And when I say cool, I mean, he looked and did things effortless, even though he gave his whole heart for God. Because, you know, in life, the word cool is used a lot, right? 
And if someone is trying to look cool, they've already destroyed the goal of what they're trying to do. Because if someone's trying to act cool or dress or have their hair done or fix themselves up because they, they think this is what society or the party they're going to will think they're cool, they've already ruined it. Because if you're worried about what others think, you're not cool. You're frightened. You're scared. If you are cool as a cucumber, and I don't mean prideful, that you're just good being you, and especially now that you know God is your power and your authority, you're cool with God because you're obedient to God. So you can wake up with a crinkled, wrinkled T-shirt and slap it on and go out and still feel cool because God is your confidence, not your swag wardrobe. That doesn't mean you don't make an effort to dress nice. Chad Wilson, our shepherd of the church, he should be a model for Haynes white t-shirts. He always looks very comfortable and very, uh, it's very clean and it looks like it's even maybe ironed, but he wears a white t-shirt every day since he's been quarantined at home to work from the home. He's an amazing computer analyst. He works very hard, but I make jokes about him. So hi, Chad, how you doing? I bet you're wearing a white t-shirt right now. Anyway, Jesus was cool. What do I mean? Cool under pressure. What's it mean to be under pressure? Oh, that's when everything is exposed. When the pressure comes and the heat is on, we find out who we really are and who others are. Look in James chapter 1, verse 2. You know, how many great movies do you see where they start out on a road trip or they're, in the, they're on a mission or somehow there's a group of people together or they're just on a huge cruise ship, the Titanic or, or the, uh, the Poseidon events or some kind of tragedy happens to these group of people you're watching in a movie and when everything folds, you really see the true colors of the people come out. Who's really there to help others more than themselves? Who's going to make uh, deals or bargain with someone and doesn't really care about anybody else except themselves. You know, it, it, and that's, there you got the plot, but that's real life too. When pressure comes, who are you? Look in James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, amazing promises chalked every verse we read. Bible says, be joyful, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And in the, um, the NLT version, I love how it reads in verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So see, here's where we get off the inner tube as spiritual people. When people face trials and troubles, they don't get excited and go, this is an opportunity for great joy. Yippee! 
No, they frown, they complain, they go, oh no, why is this happening to me? What am I gonna do? Who's gonna help me? And don't get me wrong, when things happen, we need to be solution-oriented, but the Bible says it's the view of Jesus that'll keep you cool under pressure. So when trouble comes, God's saying, hey, I'm not saying this isn't a challenge for you, but I'm saying, how are you looking at the view of the problem? Because I'm telling you, it's an opportunity for great joy. COVID-19, coronavirus, opportunity for great joy. As disciples, it's an opportunity for great joy. Am I saying, well, you don't know what it's like to maybe not have a job, or you don't know what it's like to possibly have lost loved ones, or you're sick yourself? No, I'm not saying that. I, I know that's great sorrow. And those are challenges. And those would what I would say are troubles of all kinds, great trouble. But God still says he doesn't classify it. He either allows or causes things to happen. And if you have the point of view and you become a new creation with the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, you are able to overcome it. Even though it's hard at that time, you're swimming upstream, but you're not doubting. You're struggling but it's a good to struggle and not let doubt stop you. Why does he say it's an opportunity for great joy? Well, he says, because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So now you may think you're tough, but you got to get tougher. Jesus was cool under pressure. He handled it. He took it and he dealt with it in prayer and being open, and, but he did not stop obeying and forget the bigger picture of why he's moving on to accomplish his goal, to go to Jerusalem and die, because souls are on the line. Disciples, why do we keep walking in the light after we've received sal salvation and continue to serve God and devote ourselves to one another as the Bible talks about we need to be in the church, a family, and learn to love deeply because souls are on the line. You've got your salvation. Great. That should compel you and move you to continue to want to do even greater things for God until he takes you to the next life. Endurance. And then he says, if you need wisdom, which I don't know about you, I can use that every day. I'll take a shot of wisdom in the morning in prayer. Please, God. He says, if you, if you lack wisdom, you should ask. So if you don't think you lack wisdom, you struggle with pride because wisdom from God, you can't get in conventional books. Conventional books and, and positive thinking can be tapped by God's spiritual wisdom and even emphasize a deeper thought process in a way that you would never do without God. You should ask God who gives generously. God says, hey, you need to ask for wisdom on what to do or how to handle something or which way to go. And he says, it's going to be given to you. He's going to be a generous God. But when you ask, you must believe. Don't doubt. Here we go. They doubted. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, some doubted. He said, go, go do it. That's what he's telling us. If you doubt, you need to pray. You need to look at the Bible. You need to talk out loud. You need to help someone that's doubting. Go to Scripture and trump the doubt with the promises of God. Trump the doubt with what has already been done by God in your life. Do not forget the miracles. And everything is a miracle. 
The fact that your heart is beating right now is a miracle. You don't have the chance. You don't have the switch. Why are you allowed to live right now? I could drop dead if God didn't want me to keep going. Gratitude is a great attitude when you see the right view of Jesus. And it says, don't doubt. If you doubt, you're tossed in the wind. You can't be trusted. You're double-minded. You're unstable. You do things you resent. You, you continue to go three feet forward and four feet backwards, and, you, and, and, and your life is confusing because you can't hold the line, and you haven't learned to persevere and learn what endurance says and learn how to continue doing what God calls you to do when it hurts, when you don't feel like it, and when it's not considered cool by society. Because we're not trying to do anything to look cool. We are cool under pressure because God Almighty gives us strength. Look at Mark 9, 14. Jesus was cool under pressure. How are you doing, disciples? Are you cool under pressure? If you're watching this, how are you doing right now? I mean, there's a gamut of challenges and feelings from this quarantine, COVID-19, from the uprisal of what you see on media when we see this Terrible incident happened. I'm sure everybody saw it on the news, and I don't want to make it about that, but it's just terrible to see evil and terrible things allowed to be happening to people. And then we see if you don't know how to cope with it or do it Jesus' way, you're going to have to explode with your emotions because you've had enough. And now you riot, and some people start to burn people's businesses and steal and hurt others because. They didn't even really want to do that. Now they just start to do that because they have no control over what's happening in there, and they have no God to surrender it under and give glory to and not start it and make it worse. Mark 9, 14. See, you want to change the world? Challenge your life to be the life that Jesus lived. Challenge you to be the way he wants you to be as part of his kingdom, his church on earth. Are you a family member, which is God's church? Are you present? Are you devoted? If everyone was like you, what kind of church would Jesus build? That's what we can do. We can show the world that even though we acknowledge terrible, evil things that are happening, we don't condone them, but we love one another as he loved us. And we can show you how to do that one man and woman at a time, regardless of nationality, creed, or color. In Mark 9, 14, when they came to the others, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing. See, Let's argue. Arguing gets nothing done. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. The man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. 
When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. I mean, he was almost, he almost fell over. If I, you know who you're talking to? If you can. That's Jesus' point of view. Nothing is impossible with God. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. The, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that he said, that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Here we see Jesus is cool under pressure, and this is a pretty pressure day. He comes in, there's a huge argument. There's a crowd of people arguing and shouting at each other. Jesus gets involved, number one. He doesn't just go, it's not my business. I'm not going to get involved. He's a peacemaker. He calls us all to be peacemakers. So he goes in and goes, what's going on? What are you guys arguing about? They tell him. And it's pretty serious. And they tell him that he, they asked his disciples, the ones that he was training and was teaching and showing how to have faith in God, but they couldn't do it. And he says, you unbelieving generation. See, if you want God to help you, you can't doubt. Jesus replied, how long shall, uh, shall I stay with you? Does that mean he was going to walk out on him? No. In verse 19, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? He's like, there's no excuse for you not to believe. You're stubborn. You're stiff-necked. You're deceiving yourself. You've got to be ready to rebuke your emotions and override your doubt and quit allowing you to be the authority. Get out of the way. Get faith today and, or get out of the way. That's what he's saying. I can't move forward. There's nothing else I can do except to tell you to make a decision and obey. And that's what he was saying. That's what he's saying to you and me. And then look at Jesus' coolness in Cucumber. He doesn't jump as a knee-jerk knee reaction. He walks over to the man, and he asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And I could see the father right now going, from childhood. Are you going to do something? And Jesus is not trying to delay or stress anybody out. He's taking his time on purpose because no one thinks or understands God is right there with them. God is right here with us. How long has he been like this? Uh, and then uh, what's really interesting in verse 19 uh, or 20, it says they brought, they, they brought Jesus to him. And look at how it says, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. The spirit 
the evil demonic spirit that Satan oversees is aware, has instincts, can see Jesus. And if you're with Jesus, he definitely sees you coming. And is he going to chew you up and spit you out like he did those disciples? Because they were rendered paralyzed. They couldn't do anything because of their lack of faith. But Jesus says, comes in, it gets tuned up, and Jesus goes, how long, how's a, uh, Jesus asked the father's boy, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answers. It has often thrown him into the fire and water. And, and he's kind of, you know, and Jesus is kind of talking to him. The boy's on the ground going, and Jesus is like talking, like, oh, really? And the guy's like, can you do something? He says, if you can do anything, please take pity on me and give me help. And Jesus even responds to him. If you, you can, it's like, it, see, Jesus is amazed at two things. Someone's lack of faith or someone's great faith. He's amazed at you taking a risk and obeying even when you're struggling or maybe not totally seeing how it's going to work out. You hold to the truth of God's word. He's amazed at that and he's with you. But he's also amazed when people doubt and stay in their doubt because he gave you enough to override it. And he goes, if you can, everything's possible for him who believes. That's a fact. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Boom, he got the dad to be real. I don't totally believe, but I want help. Boom, that's all I need. Seek God, we'll help you out. And then he says here, when Jesus saw the crowd was running, he rebukes him and the and demon shrieks. It gets worse. The boy's violently shaken. He's foaming at the mouth. And then the disciples go, what happened? Well, this is what happened. You're not taking private times with your father that I taught you to, and your prayer life is very anemic and weak. He says this kind can come out by prayer only, not by hanging out together, not by reading the Bible only, not by going to church. It's by taking your time by yourself and praying to God and continuing to acknowledge you have a walking, working relationship with your father who you cannot see. He will reward you for that. So their prayer life had to be taken up a couple notches because that's what Jesus said. Point number two, Jesus was hilarious. Jesus was hilarious. Some still feel uncomfortable to mix laughter with spirituality. I grew up going to a church when you walked in, it was like, shh. And even when you walked, you had to be quiet. And I remember we'd sit down, and if you made any noise, it was such a big echoing room. It was like it was a great room to record a song in. And you'd, you'd set some down and go, and it echoed through and every, every, people would look at you, who did that? Anything, any move you made just seemed like it was so loud. Everybody's so quiet, don't say anything. See, that's not the way God said to do that. You need to not disturb people's worship, but you need to worship God like you're going to your favorite sports team to cheer for, or, or you're in your favorite concert and you're rallying and you're fired up by the song, you're rejoicing and you need to be able to sing and encourage. Look in Psalm 126 too. Psalm 126.2. See, Jesus was hilarious. He enjoyed times on earth. See, if you got only one life and you're right with God, why are you so rigid and serious? Don't be serious. If you're walking in the light and praying and keeping God first, you're going to look at everything as an exciting ride because God's in it with you. 
126 verse 2 says, Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then he said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. See, Jesus gets us hilarious. When you're walking in the light and you're saved, you're going to realize every challenge or trial you go through, struggling, doubting, sin, repent, but stay the course, you're going to get through it and you're going to look back and go, I made it through that and I learned a lot and I'm still here. And if, he, if I died, I'd be with him. So what in the world am I taking things so serious for? I just need to take my walk with God serious and the grace of God and strive to continually live the life he calls me, which means deny myself, carry my cross daily, and depend on him for strength to be a light to this world. Look in Luke 5, verse 4. Luke 5, verse 4. 5, 4. Here's Peter fishing, and Jesus was preaching, and even in his boat, but Peter was not having the correct view of Jesus, even though he knew Jesus. And, and when, when Jesus finished speaking in verse 4, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. You're the leader. I'll do what you want. That's a real attitude problem. He's speaking with obedience, but inside cynical and skeptical because he already believes there's no other way to do it and he already tried it. Then they had, when he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat and they came to help them. And then they came and filled both boats. They were so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Because he was so shocked at his lack of understanding that God Almighty was right there. And he doubted. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. We're going to make disciples of all nations. We're going to evangelize this world. And we're going to set the course of my movement, God Almighty's movement, from one generation to the next, the people that are born. I'm the one that called them out of darkness into light. They're going to continue to carry the torch of the way of life that you're going to start. So they pulled up their boats on shore and they left everything and followed him. Are you still where you need to be as a true follower of Jesus? Are you leaving everything or are you caught in your nets of fear and doubt and problems? Because it's the same Jesus that's speaking in the Bible that's right with you. We need to get strong. We need to get fired up. We are going to evangelize the world in this generation. My wife, my beautiful wife shared about the incredible good news that's going around the world in all our short churches. And we have a special missions contribution and we're coming in by June 28th. The Orlando church is being called to do their part. Many churches have already arrived at their goal and that's not competition. It's just, oh my gosh, we can do anything with God. The question is, are you willing to swim upstream 
and sacrifice because the prize that you've already received of eternal life and the love of God still compels you to not doubt, to be sacrificial, to finish the race and finish the work that God calls us to do as saved people so others can be saved. I am calling everyone to look in their hearts before God Almighty and tell them you believe that you can overcome your fear and doubt and 10,000 years from now you won't regret one decision you've made with sacrifice to advance God's kingdom. So Jesus was hilarious because he's looking at those guys and he's like, yeah, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. I'm the fisherman. You're the preacher, Jesus. He didn't say that, but, you know, it's kind of cynical. Yeah, we've done it all night. I already did that. Been there, done that. Doesn't work. I'm tired. Because you say so. You're the boss. See, that's where you get legalistic and religious. Just go through the motions. But Peter did it, and Jesus still shocked him. And that's what Jesus does to us because we're saved by grace. Sometimes in his grace and mercy, he'll kick you in the butt, but at the same time, bless you. But it'll smack you so bad, you go, oh, my gosh, go away. Go away from me, you sinner. Because God's merciful. But when they were running around trying to get those nets and freaking out and fish flying all over the place, the nets tearing, they're screaming for their guys, help us, help us. Jesus is over there on the shore probably. I can't, cannot think that he's just watching going, <laughs> just enjoying these men that he loved so much that he died for, learning this lesson of being faithful and obedient to God and overcoming their discouragement and still falling apart and watching the nets and they're tripping over and screaming and delirious. He enjoyed it, but he also knew he was teaching them a lesson in love. Point number three, Jesus was tough. Look in uh, Luke 4, 28. Luke 4, 28. You know, if you don't learn as you uh, go up against life to endure it, to embrace it, to be ready to take some hits and learn from them, or if, you're, if you try to avoid pain at all costs, you're never going to learn because that's not what life's about. In verse 28, it says, of Luke 4, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, what do you mean he walked right through the crowd? He didn't be violent. He didn't punch anybody. He didn't do anything wrong. But what, did, what, made, him, what made the people get out of his way? They're going to throw him off the mountain. His convictions. You know what? You try to come between a mother and their children, and you look in the eye of that mother, something just says with the look, this is not going to go good for me. I need to walk away. You can have a mother in the street between the worst gang trying to take their kid, and that mother, four feet tall and a, and a, and a cookie apron on, will just look at them and go, you are going to have to kill me to get to my son. And you know what? It's not going to be easy 
because there's a look of love and protection and determination and give up everything, die to make this happen. Big, burly, tough gang members will go, okay, and they walk because the look tells them you better not mess with it. And that's the look of faith we have. When we look at people, we don't try to scare or intimidate them, but we've been through hardship and every challenge we face and every sacrifice we do. And when people laugh at us and they want to throw us off the hill, so to speak, because of our convictions and the truth about the Bible challenges their own faith and they get mad and persecute us and lie about us. We don't get angry, but we don't be afraid and doubt and, and cower because of what they say. We keep on going. Some doubted. Jesus says, go and make disciples. If some don't approve of you, you say, I'm always here. I love you. I'm just following the Jesus in the Bible. And then you say, can you please move out of the way? Because I still have work to do because I'm alive and there's other people that may be open. You're not right now, but here's my number. But get out of my way. How tough are you when challenges come your way? What do you do? What do you do? Guys, as we get ready to walk away here from this sermon, I need you to think about the view you have of Jesus and how much do you match up to it? Are you growing and changing? Are you going to give missions, special missions? Are you doing your part? Or are you afraid and pulling back? Because God doesn't want that. God wants you to be cheerful. God wants us, he's already hilariously laughing at the cheerful givers. You can't give out God, I'll give, I'll give God. If everybody as a church in Orlando does what their heart and prayer God says they can do, we're going to blow it out and we're going to do our part. God doesn't need our money, but we are a worldwide movement. And many, many, many churches, Miami, I want to commend, and many of the churches in our Sages World sector around the world have already brought it in, even during this virus quarantine, these stimulus checks. God always has a way of stamping things and going, don't worry, I got you. And if everybody does their best, we're going to blow it out for God. Some will do more, others will do less, but everybody's equal because all God wants is all of you all in. Let's believe with all our hearts that June 28th, we are going to do our part to save the souls of men, not only in Orlando, but with missions to keep the missionaries moving in the churches we planted and to God be the glory. Jesus was cool. Jesus was hilarious and Jesus was tough. And that's what all of us can be if we keep the perspective of the true biblical Jesus in our hearts and in our lives and do obey him. To God be the glory.